0: Hello there everybody and welcome back to circling Cell sports on convergent media of course i am your host as always charles hamaker here with you on june 19th of 2023 here uh, observing juneteenth of course a significant day in american history obviously commemorating the emancipation of enslaved black and american black african americans uh this day obviously symbolizes freedom liberation the ongoing pursuit of equality and justice for all so i wanted to acknowledge that obviously as we begin the show here uh nice to be in studio uh, I know the glare is kind of reflecting off my head It's just part of being me in my head. So uh, we'll get straight to it. You know, obviously, with the Seahawks being in their offseason season, going through mini camp and OTAs, things are a little slow in that department. And I really don't anticipate that picking up much unless we get sort of injury related news or anything along that uh, sort of perspective. But. Outside of that, there's a ton of stuff going on in terms of our other teams, of course. So we'll start with our Mariners, as we always do when, when the Seahawks aren't doing much. Uh, starting on June 12th versus the Marlins, an 8-1 to one win begin a six-game homestand. Uh, two players of the game to start that series against Miami. Player of the game, number one right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller. Six innings pitched, one hit given up, one run allowed, three walks, and six strikeouts. So a nice outing for Miller after two struggling Uh, struggling starts against the Yankees and the Rangers, which, you know, I've said it in our, in our recaps of those games, those are tough starts, you know, especially against those teams, some of the best offenses in all of baseball. So to have those struggles really, you know, isn't, isn't that big of a slight on Miller who again has not pitched against triple a hitting and is coming up straight from double a and is essentially learning how to pitch at the major league level on the fly. Um, our second player of the game who is not on our photo of the game here it is BP Crawford uh, with this photo by Matthew Bermudez. Uh First baseman, Ty France. Ty, one hit, one run, and three RBI's, a three-run homer uh, to really help put this, the exclamation point on this game um, as the Mariners would be able to take. Game one from the Marlins. The Marlins, uh, a team that's, started the season off pretty well and could challenge for their division. There's a lot of good talent all up and down that lineup. So to hold them to one run and that win was great, uh, let alone scoring eight runs of your own. In Game Two, uh, on June thirteenth, versus the Marlins, a nine to three win. Our Player of the Game designated hitter, Mike Ford. Mike Ford, uh, three hits, three runs, three RBIs as the Mariners again jump all over the Marlins, um, get out to a big lead. They do give up three today. I mean that day, but that's you know compared to nine, not that big of a slight. Um, our photo of the game, despite having some good ones uh, of Mike Ford. Uh, as he hit two homers in that game. Uh, It was only his second multi-homer game of his career. The other one also coming at T-Mobile Park in 2019, but he was a member of the Yankees at the time. So nice to see, you know, Mike Ford get that. Uh, Cal Raleigh, Cal Raleigh in this photo of the game by Brian Saldana, uh, looking pretty lovingly at the uh, home run Trident, which is is fun to see, you know, um, as as Cal homered in that game as well. Uh, So, you know, nice... First two games to start the series, big offensive games, something you've needed. We've talked about the offensive consistency for uh, years now. I wouldn't say weeks because that would be a lie. Um, And in game three, not so much of that, though. You know, the first two games, just big offense. The pitching is able to get stuff done as we've expected, as we've seen throughout the course of the year. Game three, not so much. June 14th versus the Marlins, a 1-4 loss. Uh, This one was tough. This one was very tough. Uh, the pitching, starting pitching did its job, uh, the relief, I mean, two runs, two runs against is not bad. So uh, two runs to start it against the starter, not bad. That's, that's manageable, manageable. That should be manageable. Uh, Justin Topa ended up giving up two runs later in this game. The other day doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, two and four is, is, is pretty reasonable when your offense only gets one, though. That's not as much. This was a tough break. Because Eugenio Suarez had three balls die on the morning track um, that that otherwise probably should have been homers if the weather had been a little bit better, it was a little bit chilly that night. So he that was pretty brutal and including uh, which was featured in our photo of the game by Chris Liu. Chris is making his debut here, um, a home run robbery by Marlins outfielder Jesus Sanchez. Sanchez robbing this one on the warning track. It would have been a game time grand slam, instead. excuse me, it turns into a sack fly, Ty France scores, uh, and the Mariners only get one run. So that was tough. That was tough. To lose that one, you arguably should have at least gone to extras. Um, You arguably arguably would not have been in that position had you been able to score more runs earlier throughout the course of the game. That's a different issue. Um, But it's a series win. It's a series win against a good Marlins team. Series wins are what playoff teams do. Right. So we go over to this White Sox series where the White Sox, you know, coming into this series, they were under five. They were 10 games under 500. Uh, they haven't looked at all like the team they were last year and they're just relatively struggling. So the Mariners are able to pull one out. A tight one on June 16th on Friday, the third time that the Mariners have worn their City Connect jerseys. They get their first win in those City Connect jerseys, a 3-2 to two win, a nice and tight one there. I play of the game right fielder Teoscar Hernandez, two hits, one run, and two RBIs. A go-ahead solo homer in the 7th, uh, June 17th versus the White Sox. a Oh, I almost skipped there. Our photo of the game here in this nice and tight win. This game, the Mariners had a two-run lead early. They gave up the two runs uh, to tie this thing up, and then late, Teoscar Hernandez hits the game. uh, Go ahead, home run late in the seventh inning. uh, Celebrates with the Trident there, and the Mariners would be able to get uh, get a win in that one to begin that series. Um, Game two, june 17th this is the day that the mariners wore their steelhead jerseys so they're the steelheads this day the steelheads would lose to the white Sox in tight fashion uh unfortunately this one was one of the more frustrating losses over the course of the entire season uh play the game first up jp crawford jp one hit one run one rbi and two walks on the day so jp able to reach base three times uh in the Steelheads uniforms there as you can see in the photo of the game by live lions um, this one was yeah, this was a tough one. This was a very frustrating contest to see. Um, just again, the offensive inconsistency here. Uh, this game went into extra innings. The Mariners, well, the Mariners had a lead going into the ninth too. They would give that up. Uh, they would go three to two. They had a lead three to two. They pitched Paul Sewald back to back days. Uh, and the Yankee, the Yankees. Oops, I'm getting ahead of myself. The White Sox are able to push a run across to tie this thing up to send us to extra innings. In extras, uh, would take eleven innings, but Chicago would get that fourth run, and the Mariners were unable to respond. Uh, and just frustrating. It was. It was another sort of exclamation point about. The offense's inconsistency, the offense's inability to score runners in scoring position. uh, Just frustrating. Just frustrating all around. And the Mariners did have a few chances with the bases loaded, I do believe. So that was was tough. Excuse me. Especially when it started off pretty well. Um, JP hit a leadoff homer. Continues to have great games when he's played in the Steelhead jersey. Had the Grand Slam in his first game in it. Uh, I believe it was one for three with an RBI in his second game last year. Uh, and then the leadoff homer in this one as well. So just just tough to lose that one. But again, you know, series wins are what's important. So it's important for you to bounce back and get the rubber match. And the Marys were able to do so on June 18th versus the White Sox. A 5-1 winner. Player of the game, left fielder Jared Kelnick. Kelnick one hit and three RBIs, a bases loaded, clearing triple uh, late into this one to an eighth inning, matter of fact, to give the Mariners much, much needed insurance after we obviously know what I mentioned last game happened uh, where they gave up the run in the ninth inning to tie things up. But Kelnick makes sure that doesn't happen, snaps the Mariners 0 for 6 streak with the bases loaded over the course of the homestand um, and is able to clear that off, give the Mariners some good some good insurance runs after they had really been dominated by Chicago starter Lance Lynn. Lynn had 16 strikeouts on the day against the Mariners, which is a White Sox franchise record tied for the franchise record. Uh, and the Mariners offense, you know, they had gotten two runs across in the third inning as Julio Rodriguez doubled to score Cal Raleigh and JP Crawford. But after that, they'd really gone stagnant and looked bad. So, um, I'm talking heavily about the offense, and you'd think that, you know, I'd go to a photo for a photo of the game here of an offensive player, but no, i rather uh, went with this photo of Eugenio Suarez here by Liz Wolter um, celebrating the first of the three outs in the ninth inning there. Really ecstatic play by by uh, Eugenio to get that out, and it was a tough one. You know, I think it was especially after the way that, excuse me the game before had gone just frustrated with that sort of loss and wanting to make sure that they get the series when they end the homestand out on the right note um and they don't let this one get away so that was important uh we go over to our player of the week here i went with Teoscar hernandez over the past seven days uh that encapsulates the entire homestand because there was a day break in between the two series um Teo 10 hits, 4 runs, 2 homers, 6 RBIs, 1 stolen base, a 3.85 batting average, a 448 on-base percentage and a 731 slugging percentage. Uh, so Teo really um continuing to find his stride in the month of June which is great to see uh from Teo because I know the first few months for him were a little bit slow, people were wondering, you know, what what the whole deal was. It was stated at the beginning of the year that Teo starts the year off slow. That's always how it goes. Um, but that's for the folks who always seem to over exaggerate. Anyway, as you can see on the banner, two series win. Is this progress? I'd say there's progress, but again, you look at the game three against the Marlins, you look at game two against the White Sox, and even for the most part, game three against the White Sox, that offensive consistency continues to show in the in the White Sox, the two games to begin the series against the White Sox, Manager Scott Service talked about focus. He talked about you know better plate appearances. You know maybe watching for that extra ball to draw the starter out and knock the starter out early. They had knocked a bunch of the starters out they had played against early on to get into the bullpen, and that was important, especially with the White Sox coming into the, coming into town, uh, having the night before thrown six relievers out there against the Dodgers, and then coming into the to Seattle, Seattle was able to jump on that. You know. And set themselves up, really. Um, oh, Miami, not Chicago. No, Western Chicago series. Yes, that's right. Because the night before, yes, okay. The series opener against Chicago, not really able to do it, you know, three to two, game two, no, game three. So it didn't really work out in that series. The Miami series, it did. Um, they were able to get the two starters out early, and it kind of worked in their favor. Obviously, they lose game three, some frustration and some bad luck in there. Yes. Do I think it's progress? To answer the little question mark on the screen there, yes, I do think it's progress. You know, After the really rough stretch against the Yankees and the Rangers, um, the starting pitching staff looks to kind of settle back in. Again, those are two really good offenses, and when uh, your offense isn't supplying their own job and doing their own part, holding their end of the bargain up, it can be a lot. I'm sure it can be a lot, and it can be overwhelming. So... I s- you still need to see more consistency at the plate and you're going to have a big, big test here on this upcoming road trip against two great teams, both of them in the AL East. Um But I do think there is some progress. I do think there is progress here. I think it's important to note that. Um and there are some guys that are getting hot and are finding their groove. There are some some guys who kind of struggled over the past home stand. JP Crawford, uh, you know, had some had that good game uh, on the seventeenth, but his past seven days weren't too great. You know, four hits over twenty-two plate appearances for a one seventy-six batting average. Uh, he had three extra base hits, but you know, six walks to six strikeouts, not so great. So, um, and that's and that's incredible to think about as well because JP was actually one of the best hitters on this team for the large majority of the season. So if he can get out of this slump of sorts, you know, you you make the offense even more dangerous. So it it really is just about taking better plate appearances, you know, not chasing, uh, taking more of that simple approach that we really saw in this last game, which I know I, I say, taking a simple approach. And then you think about, Oh, well, they struck out against Lynn 16 times. Yes. Um, so it it really is about finding that consistency and they haven't hit it yet they really have not hit it all season um it, they're going to have a tough test to do so, though, uh, when the when their next road trip rolls around. So we'll get to injury and roster related news here uh, on the 12th of June. Right handed pitcher Penn Murphy was placed on the 15 day injured list with right elbow inflammation as a corresponding roster move. The team selected right handed pitcher Ty Adcock from double A Arkansas um, and also. uh to make room on the forty-man roster for Edcock, left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray was placed on the sixty-day injured list with a, excuse me, left flexor strain. The move was made to make room for Edcock, as I mentioned on that forty-man roster. Um, Robbie has been around the team and the clubhouse as of recently. He's got this giant. Um, Arm brace on as he continues to rehab and get back from Tommy John surgery. Obviously, very, very early in that rehab and recovery, but it's nice to see Robbie around a guy, a veteran guy who can help out this young pitching staff. So that's it for team and roster related moves. Um, the Mariners sit at 500. They're directly at 500 with a 35 and 35 record. Uh, sits them as still at fourth in the AL West. It'll be a big and important test to see if they can really. Find some ground with the Astros kind of vulnerable right now, having been swept by the Reds. You know, Jordan Alvarez just went on injured, uh, the injured list. So can they can they jump the Angels and the Astros and take advantage of this? It won't be easy, but there is an opportunity there. So it starts in the Bronx against the Yankees June 20th through 22nd. All of those games are at 4 5 p.m. Pacific time june 20th 21st and 22nd are all at 405 p.m pst seattle looking to get some revenge back after really getting manhandled by the yankees in the series here in seattle uh, in the first two games at least before having to walk off the yankees in game three uh, to end that series and salvage a game this next series against this other AL east opponent normally would have been sort of shrugged upon because the orioles really have not been that good for years to come and that has resulted in why, you know, they have all this young talent right now. The, the Orioles are good. The Orioles are have a really quality start to the 2023 season, and it won't be any sort of cakewalk when the Mariners start their three-game series in Baltimore starting on June 23rd. June 23rd, a 4.05 p.m. Pacific time start. June 24th at the Orioles, a one o five p.m. start, and then June 25th at the Orioles, a 10.35 a.m. start uh, to round out that six-game road trip. Again, a tough, tough road trip um, against the AL East. It will not be easy, but if Seattle really wants to keep some momentum up and really build on that, they're going to have to come out of this six-game set with a positive record. So... Heading over, it's talking about positive records, at least in the course of the past three games. The storm starting off the season horrible, uh, which was somewhat to be expected. But again, outside of the Aces loss, and that rings true now with the two games that they've played against the Aces, and we'll get to that. Seattle has kept just about every game close that they've lost. They're finding some traction. They were finding that traction. They were settling in. I fully thought that they were going to, uh, figure things out. I know in the off season, I called it a crazy sleeper pick that they'll made the playoffs. I highly doubt that now, even with the, the progress, um, unless things get really crazy and they really start to find their, their groove, um, but it doesn't matter. They won two of the last three. So June 13th at the Phoenix Mercury, an 83-69 to win. Our play of the game, guard Sammy Whitcomb, the former UW Husky, 18 points, two rebounds, three assists, four steals off the bench. Uh, with three starters and double figures in that win, that would be Seattle's second win of the season. A uh, big one to start their three-game road trip. The next game on the road, June 15th at the Aces, a 63-96 to loss. This one was tough. Uh, It was close until late in the first half when the Aces really went on a run to go into the halftime mark. Um, And Las Vegas was really able to dominate throughout the course of the way uh, to pick up that win and to deal Seattle, their second biggest loss of the season. The other one, obviously, being the other loss to Las Vegas, uh, which was a 41-point differential. This one, a 33-point differential. So that one tough, but again, um, more positive generally to see that they kept up in the first half or most of the first half than to expect this this storm team at all to be able to beat the Aces. I know they are beatable. They have lost this season. I just don't think that Seattle would be the second team to do it. Uh, maybe if they play later on in the season and the Aces are resting players or they have folks out, but n- n- no. Um Then June 17th to close out their road trip at the Dallas Wings, a 109 to 103 victory, another high scoring and tight game against the Wings. It feels like every time that these two teams play over the course of the past three years, it's, it's high scoring and it's really tight. Um, i play the game guard. Jewel Lloyd, Jewel Lloyd, the gold mamba goes off for 39 points, almost had 40, but missed a free throw late, uh, five rebounds, five assists, going seven for 12 from the three, all starters were in double figures for this one. Uh, Jordan Horson and Sammy Wickham each poured in eight points. So while Horson had started most of the games, um, since, uh, last week, uh, at the power forward spot, Mercedes Russell slots in, I believe, sort of as a <sighs> as a sort of size matchup there. Uh, I know Horston had played well and, and doesn't necessarily lose you a ton of size, but Russell's a little bit bigger there. Um, and so they offer that. Horston's still able to be effective from the bench. So it's it's incredible to see it week by week the progression that the store make, you know, and I mentioned it. Outside of those two aces losses, the Storm have had tight games. You know, obviously 33 and 41 point deficits against the aces. Take that away. And I think that if you really took those two games out of the statistics, the Storm would be a lot better on all the statistics. They already look pretty solid in terms of, of sort of stuff like we've looked at um, points, uh, blocks per game, steals per game, uh, you know, stuff like that. Net differential not so great, but even if you take those two games out, net, net differential is already pretty good. Uh, my point to say is, you know, in the the uh, stats posts that we do every game day, you know, make sure you see that so you can see where to find those every game day. Um, the Storm aren't last in the league. In, Everything you know, the, the, they have it's a young team. Again, I've, I've said that again in, in numerous ways. Whether it be how often, how how much these players know each other, or their actual age themselves, yes, it's a young team, and that's understandable. Um, it's probably going to need to be a young team before they really challenge for a fifth title in this league. But seeing the growth, you know, the continued growth from Ezi Magbagbor, uh, we know what Drew Lloyd can do. Drew Lloyd is a known commodity, uh, an absolute bucket in every you know, way, shape or form, but it's, it's more about the development of these younger players, whether it's Magbegor, uh, obviously Horston, even Ivana, Doykic, you know, um, it's just been incredible to see those players continue to make an impact and really show out, you know, even with some of the veterans seeing Sammy Woodcomb have a great game off the bench. You'd like to see that more out of Sammy because they're most of the games this year, Sammy struggled and that's fine. That's going to happen. Um, Kia nurse as well as someone I'd look forward to, to have more success. Uh, as of late, you know, has had two solid games, but otherwise has, has been relatively quiet in the games that she hasn't had those good games. So the point being again is, is the progression of the storm through the course of the year. I know I talked about it. Earlier in the segment, and I mentioned it in the offseason, I thought that maybe this Storm team was scrappy enough, had enough sort of chip on their shoulder to really go out there and prove everybody wrong and fight for a playoff spot. Technically, that is still possible, but I think it's unlikely. And the, also, the other point with that that we talked about throughout the course of the year was to watch the progression of some of these younger players, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Ezi Magbegor had been having a great year uh, as a starter at the five last year until Tina you know, Charles came in, which, you know, I can't blame the Storm for making that decision to add on another talented piece that's trying to get a ring when they're trying to get Super a final ring. It makes sense, you know, but it definitely did have an impact on the way that Ezi had been trending up you know, so to see Horson continue to find confidence, to con- continue to find different pockets in the offense where she can score, you know, to find, have Ivana Doikic be the starter now at the point guard position after we had been talking about that, you know, and there's, it, it, it's, it's crazy, even though uh, I mentioned all this, the fact that there are players who I would want to get more minutes, like Arela Girantes, who aren't getting minutes and aren't necessarily getting that opportunity, which is tough considering that, it's been talked about that a just needs an opportunity. Um, but seeing the growth progression throughout the course of the year, because coach Quinn has said uh, as, as recently as last week, the last game that we talked to her um, that her rotation is not completely set in stone yet. You know, they're still playing with that. They're still looking at that. They're still evaluating, which is interesting. I won't lie to you. It is interesting. Um, but it's just great to see the con- continued sort of progression from these young players. And that's what you have to look at. You know, I know that it's like, oh, it's rough to see the losses and see the win-loss record, but you can't look at it that way this year. You know, you're, you're ideally getting a lottery pick this year to continue to add to your young players that will be the future of this franchise, will be the next era of Storm Basketball. That's what happened with these other players. I know Sue Bird in her ceremony at her jersey retirement said that by the time the storm had gotten around to Brianna Stewart drafted and Jewel Lloyd being drafted, uh, she was thinking about retiring at that point, you know, or or being done. Um, and those, she said that those who really gave her life there, Sue Bird was a top overall pick, you know. So it's you know, like you're seeing the different eras here of storm basketball with Sue Bird, um, Brianna Stewart, and then Jewel Lloyd—they're all top picks, you know. So you you've got to really imagine that you're going to have to make the future of this franchise through the draft. And that's more than likely what's going to happen. You just got to be a little bit patient with it. You know, I know the losses are hard, but that's what I try to focus on. Whether that's watching games at home, being there at the games, or when we're looking at something like this, where we are right now with me and you here right is the general progression of the storm as they move throughout the course of the year to see the growth of these young rookies and these younger players, not just the rookies themselves. So excuse me, that was a mouthful. Um, looking ahead, they sit at a three and seven record, which again is not great, but they're 10th in the league. So they're not the worst. There are two teams that are worse than the storm right now. Uh, and fourth in the Western Conference. Again, two teams worse than the Storm right now. Interesting that they are both um, in the Western Conference. So that's, again, interesting. Uh, but looking ahead, this one, it's, it's not going to be an easy way to start out. Um the first of this homestand uh they play connecticut june 20th versus connecticut at seven o'clock start which is on nba tv fox 13 plus or amazon prime video whichever three of those that you have um june 22nd versus indiana seven o'clock and that one's on amazon prime video and then june 24th versus the mercury Uh, The Mercury are one of the two teams that are worse than Seattle uh, and all the W. Um, That's a six o'clock start. Yes, a little bit odd. We go from two seven o'clock to a six o'clock start. But that one is a Commissioner's Cup game. Uh, It is on Twitter, interestingly enough, Fox 13 plus and Amazon Prime Video. So, yes, streaming on Twitter. Interesting. Uh, But those are those are three pretty unique games just because, Connecticut, Connecticut is who dealt the aces their first loss of the season. They are actually second in all of the league standings uh, with at a nine and three record. Um, you know, we look at oops, Oh, I'm looking at. The, oh, here we go. So, yeah, you go from playing Connecticut, who's sitting at the second most wins in all the league. Then you look at Indiana, who's four and seven. So one win above you. And then Phoenix, who's two and eight, who's one win below you. So it's it's, it's very much a mixed bag here. Um, But again, that general progression is what we're looking for. We go over to our Sounders here, who sort of had the week off, depending on which players you are, um, as there was a sort of international break here uh, for the Sounders, which Brian Metro said kind of came at a tough time. You know, the Sounders had just gotten Christian Roldan back from injury, Raul Reed Diaz back from injury, Jordan Morris should be back soon. Uh, and then they go on a week break, you know. And normally you'd say, well, a break is normally a good thing. Yes, that is typically true. Uh, but with the way that the Sounders had been playing, Although I talked about it last week, dropping points to Charlotte, wasting a three-goal effort, you wanted to keep that moving momentum-wise, right? So that was tough in that instance, but I think in terms of getting guys even more healthy and maybe getting a little reset, maybe it's good there. Uh, we move over to team notes here, and there are four different players who went up to their respective national teams. On June 12th, uh, Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan were both named to the U.S. Men's National Team for the CONCACAF Gold Cup as the red, white, and blue aim to capture their eighth trophy in that respective tournament. Uh, Roldan and Morris are both part of the 23-man roster for the U.S. Morris, having made 52 appearances and 11 goals while representing his country, including two appearances during the previous men's world cup in Qatar against Wales and Netherlands. Uh, He's tied for fifth in MLS goals with nine, uh, including a club record, four goals against uh, sporting Kansas city on March 25th. Roldan has made 32 appearances for the U S and was part of the squad at the world cup, but did not make any appearances. Uh, He has started in eight of his nine has started eight of his nine MLS regular season appearances in 2023. There we go. Uh, Most recently recording a goal and an assist uh, in that game against Charlotte, so you see again with that performance by Roldan, you want to keep things rolling, but you know uh, I'm sure there are pros and cons on both ends. Uh, we look over here, June 16th. Um, defenders Javier Ariaga and Alex Roldan are representing Ecuador and El Salvador respectively this weekend. Uh, this past weekend in the international friendly action during the current FIFA window. Ariaga joins Ecuador for a pair of friendlies in the U.S., uh, while Roldan has joined El Salvador for two Asia-based friendlies ahead of the uh, summer's CONCACAF Gold Cup. Ariaga has 20 appearances for Ecuador dating back to 2018, most recently playing in a pair of friendlies against Australia on the 24th and 28th of march uh he was also included in ecuador's final roster for the world cup appearing on the bench for each of the three matches that the country played in um he also had nine appearances during the uh, squad's qualifying campaign scoring his lone international goal in a six to one route of colombia on november 17th of 2020 Roldan, on this is alex Uh, has 19 caps for El Salvador since making his international debut in a 2-0 win over Guatemala at the 2021 CONCACAF Gold Cup, a game in which he scored his lone international goal. He's appeared in 11 matches during El Salvador's 2022 World Cup qualifying campaign, captaining the squad on multiple occasions. So nice to see there sort of a mix of players getting into their respective national teams. Obviously, that's a big deal, a big honor. To be able to represent your country on the biggest stage, especially with the World Cup and um, appearances like this, whether it be, <coughs> excuse me, the US guys in the Gold Cup or, or uh, Alex and Javier with the internationals, or, or chances to say, hey, when 2026 rolls around, who's going to be remembered? You know, are, are they going to remember having Arriaga and rolled on for those respective teams? Will, uh, recently announced rehired Greg Berhalter want to have Morris and rolled on around, uh, when 26 comes around. Instances like this are important for that reason. So the Sounders sit at an eight win, six loss, four draw record. They are sitting at 28 points right now, which is good for third in the Western Conference. Now they've dropped to third uh, after hanging around first and second for the longest time. Uh, Their next two matches, some tough ones. June 21st at LAFC, which is a 7.30 p.m. start. Uh, A rematch there of earlier in the season when the two teams fought to a pretty intense draw where statistically Seattle was the better club. Um, And then June 24th versus Orlando City SC here at home at Lumen Field. Uh, A little bit of a late one here. I know people don't always like the 7.30 starts. I don't blame you. Uh, But that one here... Uh, at lumenfield against orlando city again sort of similar to i talked about the storm and the way that those teams that they're playing against in the upcoming week stack up lafc sitting in seattle's spot uh at second in the western conference so you know uh not that that's going to be a big battle that's important that's points if you're able to get a win there you know, that would put you uh, atop the Western Conference, depending on what St. Louis does. And then Orlando City. Orlando is a playoff team in the East right now. Um, and it's crazy because statistically, they're only uh, two points off of Seattle's total. But in the Eastern Conference, they are seventh behind Atlanta, Columbus, Philadelphia, New England, Nashville, uh, and Cincinnati. So, Oops. A little bit of a tough one to see that. You know, it'll it'll be a big week for the Sounders, again, having wasted points in Charlotte, uh, coming off of that draw against the Timbers and the doubleheader, uh, and then going on this international break where you're kind of halting momentum. So, keeping with the soccer theme, though, we move over to our rain, and I, I don't like to say it because the rain typically tend to be typically tend to be the, you know, higher achieving club of the two sides. Uh, this one's a tough one. This was a tough one. The rain split points uh, in Houston, a zero to zero draw. Uh, our player of the match, I'd go with Alana Cook here, a 7.7 match rating, but you could arguably go with the entire defensive roster, uh, the back line there and goalkeeper Fallon to choice. This game is frustrating. Mainly because uh, late into the first half, Houston had a player go off with a red card. Uh, It was a tough, hot game in Houston. Humid. Uh, I mean, it comes with Houston, if you know what Houston's like at all. Um, But, you know, again, so you have essentially the halftime break to scheme out how you want to attack a 10-player dash. And then the entire second half, you're unable to capitalize, you know. That's where the frustration is with this one, you know, uh, you're coming off of, it's just, it's just frustrating, you know, especially with the attack. Uh, it is tough to still be without just Fishlock, you know, you didn't have Megan Rapino for this match. Excuse me. Despite returning from the uh, season-ending injury list, uh, Angelina was not available for this match. uh, So you don't have that attacking midfielder, just fishlock. You don't have her. Rose Lavelle continues to be out. So yes, there are some notable injuries. I will say that. But there was more than enough offensive attack, offensive talent for the Reign to have found a goal, to have found points, especially with how hotly contested the top five spots in the NWSL are. You know, Washington, uh, funny enough, sits at 20, uh, atop uh, the league with 23 points, Portland, 22, and then you've got three teams, including the rain, North Carolina and San Diego, who are sitting at 20. Um, and you really just have to be able – you can't miss out on opportunities like this, that, again, where the frustration lies. You come off that win against Sporting Kansas City – nope, not Sporting Kansas City, the Kansas City Current. I apologize. That one's on me. Um well, you're able to get two goals. You get up, let up a late one. Frustrating, sure, but you arguably should have won that one. I mean, if we look at the statistics here, ball wow, ball possession is equal. Wow, he actually got out chance, which too, which is frustrating. Um, wow. Yeah. To so that's why again I would go with defensive back line for player of the week, uh, player of the game for the rain. Uh Houston had 18 shots, three big chances. Um and miss all of those big chances the rain had eight shots uh, and only had one big chance you know uh that is just frustrating the rain committed four more fouls as well yeah yeah um yeah yeah that's yeah it's just frustrating up and down the board to to sort of have that thing that red card uh coming in the 45th plus one minute so yes you you had all of halftime to scheme in there Unable to do so, you bring on uh, Nikki Stanton in the 46th minute, which is arguably a defensive move, um, as Stanton's more of a defensive midfielder. You bring on Elise Bennett in the 54th minute for Z. You know, sure, nice physical forward up front. You bring on Olivia Athens for Bethany Balser in the 55th minute, which is also interesting. Um, Ryan Brown in the 77th minute for Lou Barnes, which is you know you get Brown in there more of a attacking a faster outside back and those no, 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 uh, no shade on Lou at all, but just, just frustrating in in the fact that you had an opportunity there, a pretty good one. Again, mentioning the importance of the points atop the table here, uh, the opportunity you had with the player down, you're not able to score at all and you get outchanced, which is even more frustrating. So tough, you know, different circumstances, whether it be the injuries, whether it be the heat, uh, Yes. Tough. Uh, and at the end of the day, the Houston squad is not a bad Houston squad. You know, former all Rain assistant coach, Sam lady is over there with Houston. Um, he's, he's done a good job with Houston this year. So it's not like they were playing nobody's, nobodies, right? It was a good team, but still a, an opportunity for you to handle your own destiny there uh, for when playoff time and seating comes around. So, um, Nothing really to report on here. Well, no, I'll, I'll go with what, what we got on Monday with injury-related news. Uh, Megan Rapino is dealing with a calf injury. Um, we'll get more specificities out here for you. I don't want to just give you the random stuff and not give you exact detail here. Um, and it's tough because I say exact detail, but what we got isn't uh, necessarily... Entirely specific by Laura Harvey Laura Harvey says that Magna Pino's injury is calf related and she'll be out a couple weeks but wouldn't further on any details on if that would be before the World Cup or anything like that. Just Fishlock doesn't have a clear timeline. Uh, her return date per Harvey is around when the players are leaving for the World Cup or are just about to uh for that reason fishlock uh they're being cautious with Fishlock, uh, and there were no sort of details on what kind of injury it is. It was listed as a leg injury, but there were no further details outside of that, which again I get, I get it you're a coach you usually don't want to go that specifically into it uh but frustrating so uh the Reigns sit at a six win four loss two draw record now it 's their second draw of the season, a uh, regular season that is <coughs> excuse me. Looking ahead, as I mentioned, they sit at fourth in the league table at 20 points, uh, you know, tied. There were three teams with 20 points. Um, first in the West in the Challenge Cup division, though, uh, with seven. Looking ahead, I, I just mentioned one of those 20-point teams. This is going to be a big one. June 24th at San Diego Wave, a 7 o'clock start. This one is on Paramount+. Plus. If you want to watch that, Um it is not a Challenge Cup game. Uh, so regular season standings, this is going to be an important one because you're playing the team that's right below you in terms of points and the standing. So you're you're going to have to really get back for this one. It'll be interesting to see if we get anybody back from injury. You know, with Jess out likely for this match. I, I bet she's out for this match. Uh, getting Angelina back as an attacking midfielder would be huge. Uh, Megan Rapino, I doubt that she's back for this one. Same with, yeah, so I I think the best case candidate for return from injury in this match would be Angelina. And that would be huge, again, considering the uh, attacking midfield presence that she brings. So all this talk about playoff implications, and we move over here to our Seawolves, who have already locked up the number two seed in the Western Conference. And in this last week of the regular season, they were playing the top seed in all of the West uh, in the San Diego Legion, also their bitter rivals, uh, this one, a 19 to 40 loss, a little bit tough here, um, but I need to give you some context, you know, with both of these teams having their respective playoff seeds figured out, there was really no need for either team to try and win this game. Um head coach Alan Clark did kind of put it in a nice way. It's If you've seen sports, if you've seen a dominant team before in the last few weeks of the regular season, they rest their starters, right? They want their starters ready for the playoffs. That's what these guys did. Um, I know I said it. Head coach Alan Clark, Clarkie basically uh, put a bow on it and made it sound nice. But it's true. He said that basically they're getting... They, they had a second string roster in for the most part. Uh, and they were trying to get their younger guys in, continue their development, reward them for battling hard all year long, give them a chance against the top spot in all of MLR, let alone in the Western Conference, uh, which again, makes sense. But, you know, they were just pressing their starters. There's no point in them trying to beat San Diego in this match. Um, you know, we look at the player of the game thing, it was tough. You know, the Seawolves did hang on for most of the first half in this one. They they were step for step with the Legion uh before San Diego got a late try right before halftime to really start pushing the gap there. Um, but the Vero Ferris, D-E-V-E, R E A U X, Ferris, like Ferris wheel, Ferris Bueller, uh, seven points scored uh with one try. Uh 347 kicking meters on the day. I, I, you kind of have to go with, I mean, there were some other notable sort of, I mean, if we look here at, at sort of other notable uh, performances, Jeremiah, see six ball carries, 71 uh, ball uh, running meters. Yeah. Shane Berry, uh, one of the team's draft picks this year, was able to get in. He had 51 kicking meters in this one. Uh, and five ball carries to go with 38 running meters. So, I mean, you see that. You, we'll go through some of these names because if you're a Seawolves fan, you will probably know these names. But if you've been following along with our seals coverage and just kind of know us, there are names that aren't familiar with you. Jeremiah Siu, Lepeti Aasia, Shane Barry was a draft pick, Isaiah Latawa, uh, Ronan Foley's been around, uh, Nicholas Watkins, Paige Adam, David Busby, DeWald Donald, James Malcolm. We know James De- Malcolm. Nikai Penny, uh, we know. So, uh, mostly though, an opportunity for some of the younger players, some of the uh, the bench guys, the s- second string, so to say, to get in and get that experience. Because especially with the Seawolves team, you know, you want to be able to win, and in any sport, you want to be able to win for the future. Um, this is a Seawolves team that will contend this year. We want to be able to continue to do, sa- do so, um, and if not this year, bring a third title uh, back. To starfire in the near future, right so um, good to see that I mean it was nice especially to see them really keep up in the first half tough to see it kind of fizzle out but again that's that's the best team in the league this year far and away um, and if they handle business in their playoff game at home at starfire, they'll see him again when all their starters are playing so Seattle sits at a 12 and 4 record, 59 standing points on the year, third in all of MLR, second in the Western Conference. Their first round of playoff Western Conference eliminator round one game is June 24th versus the Houston SaberCats at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Now, um, I would highly encourage you to get out to this. I know that. <clears throat> excuse me. Later in the day. At a later start time, we talked about it early in the show, at a 7.30 start time, the Sounders are playing, but the Seawolves, this is a playoff game. The Sounders are not playing in a playoff game. Um, This is playoff rugby. This team has been good all season long. We will be there, so I highly encourage you to go out there if you have the opportunity, if you have the time. It is in Tukwila if you don't know where Starfire is. If that's a trek for you, understandable, but you you can always cheer us, cheer the Seawolves on, By supporting, you know, the team itself in different ways, uh, supporting our coverage of the team. Uh, It's just big. You know, the the Seahawks have a very strong community already, but we're trying to grow that game of rugby here in the U.S. So I'm trying to take a look here at the tickets for this game and try to give you an idea of how cheap it is to get in because it really isn't that expensive. And again, this is a playoff game. You know so yeah you can get in first cheap of 35 bucks um wow the resale is crazy already um but yes june 24th with a 4 p.m pacific time start so um all of that with our show here we will wrap up with our seattle storm um having the seattle star of the week i went with jewel lloyd this week um to have the 39 point game is big obviously, but the, uh, you know, it was talked about at the beginning of this year uh, that Jewel Lloyd was going to be the leader of this team for obvious reasons, uh, but she's going to do it her way. She's going to do it Jewel's way. Obviously she had been around Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart uh, to form that big three for Seattle for that nice time, but she was going to lead her way uh, while taking into account how those two were able to lead as well. So, um, just to see that and to see Jewel be the leader of this team and to be patient with this team. Cause I know, you know, she obviously has seen Stewie go to New York and form a super team uh, and see all these other superstars. Uh, and it's not really the storm that Jewel has been a part of. Right. Um, but to see her accept this role and really, continue to be herself in this role is big and it's going to be big for all of these players. Whereas Horston, uh, Magbogor, you know, the younger guards, um, just this team as a whole to have this sort of leadership from Lloyd to take into the rest of their careers, whether that's with the storm, uh, or somewhere else. Obviously I'd like to see jewel back next year, uh, and to see jewel be a storm player for life. But if not to see her again, have this sort of year where she's, Passing along this leadership and mentoring these players is big. It's big not only for this year and the growth of these players, uh, but for the culture-runs organization uh, and these players that will hopefully be carried for years throughout the course of you know this franchise's existence. So to wrap up, June nineteenth, two 2023, we continue throughout June gloom. I know a bunch of people are already complaining about the weather. I get it. You know, it was, it was pouring rain yesterday. I got soaked as I was trying to get home from Mariners game. That was fine. Got the new, we'll move it down here just so we can show it. The new city connect, uh, going on here. So that got soaked, but thank God for, uh, cleaning clothes. Regardless, you know, we are in June summer officially starts in two days. So we'll be getting to that. Um, the marriage will be continuing their season, the storm, the sounders, the rain, uh, all continuing their regular season, uh, the cricket team the seattle orcas has more announcements so we'll get into that next week but the sea Wolves, and in probably the most important stage of their season right now are in the playoffs so seals coverage we will see you on the 24th at four o'clock at starfire so until we see you next week take care of yourselves be well do whatever you can to make today a great day